One of the most common refrains in the Psalms is, how long, O Lord? How long will you be angry with me, O Lord? How long will the wicked prosper, O Lord? How long, Lord, until you answer my prayers? How long, O Lord, until you rise up and do something? All night long I am flooding my bed with tears. Where are you, God? How long until you do something? The reason why it's such a common refrain in the Psalms is it's such a common refrain in our hearts. We are saying, Lord, how long? How long will my wayward child be away until you go and get them? How long, Lord, will this pain continue? Lord, how long until this loved one who desperately wants to go home to be with you has to continue to suffer in this place? How long, Lord, until you return and make all things new and fix this broken world in which we live? How long, Lord? How long? We heard that a little last week as we talked about the parable of the wheat and the weeds and the fact that Jesus has planted a garden and while he planted the garden, an enemy crept in unaware and planted weeds and the weeds were growing up along with the good plants and the workers say, let us go pull out all the weeds. And Jesus says, no, 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 you might damage the wheat. Let's wait until the harvest but you can hear the workers thinking to themselves, but how long, Lord? How long are we going to let these weeds continue to grow? How long are we going to allow them to continue to bring damage to the good wheat that's in the field? Well, if you've ever asked the question, how long, Lord? I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. If you've ever wondered about anything, how long, Lord? We want to turn together to 2 Peter chapter 3 and hear an encouragement from God's word. 2 Peter 3 is page 985. 985 in the church Bibles. 2 Peter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the prophets, by the holy prophets, and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Of all the things Peter has to say in this section of Scripture, there's only one thing that's actually commanded to us. There's only one thing that he tells us to do, and that's in verses 8 and 9. Do not forget that God is patient. Of all the things that Peter says here, the one thing we're supposed to do in response is to not forget that God is patient, that God's timing is not our timing, and that our timing is not God's timing. You see, the patience of God is an attribute we do sometimes forget about. I looked through a number of books that sort of list attributes of God. Do you know that patience was not listed in any of the ones I looked through? Except for one written about 50 years ago. Omniscience, omnipotence, God's mercy, God's love, God's eternality, all listed, but God's patience, not there. But God being patient That's a fundamental part of who he is. That's a part of the self-disclosure that he gives us in the Old Testament. The most important self-disclosure that God gives about who he is, we find it first in Exodus chapter 34, where God says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Do you see that slow to anger? That's God's patience. In the very self-disclosure of who he is, one of the first things God says about himself is that he's patient. That God is long-suffering with us when it comes to our failures and our sins. He's slow to anger. God is patient in the work that he's doing in our lives and in the world today like he was with Israel where he took him in the wilderness for 40 years to teach them one lesson, one lesson to trust in him. God is patient with them. God is patient with those who do not yet believe in Jesus because he doesn't want any to perish. God is even patient with those who ought to be by nature objects of wrath, God is patiently interacting with them because even they are being used as part of the greater good that he is up to. God is patient. And Peter says there is one thing you and I must not forget. We must be reminded over and over again, God's timing is not our timing, our timing is not God's timing, because God is a patient God. Now the first way in which this patience manifests itself for Peter is with regard to Christ's return. As Christians, we are waiting for Jesus to come a second time in power and in glory and to set all things right. That he came the first time to die on a cross for our sins. That God raised him from the dead. He ascended to heaven where he is waiting 
at the right hand of the Father to return again to this earth to make all things new, to fix this place, to cause his kingdom to come, to end misery and pain and sadness, and to usher in the kingdom of God, a kingdom of joy and of peace and of grace. Peter says with regard to Christ's coming, we have to understand that God is patient. You see, in Peter's day, he says there are scoffers, meaning there are people who heard this promise that Jesus is returning, and many of them thought it might happen immediately. And when it didn't, they just simply went on their way and decided, well, he must not be coming back at all. And they began to live however they felt like living, irregardless of the fact that Christ is promised to return. Now, if that was true almost 2,000 years ago, how much more true is it today, 2,000 years later, when Christ still hasn't returned? People today assume he's not coming back. And from that have assumed he doesn't even exist. People in the society around us, even perhaps some here this morning, look around at the poverty, the strife, wars, mental illness, all of the difficulties in life and think, if God hasn't come back to fix this stuff now, he's not ever coming back and probably doesn't exist. In our community recently here, we were all shocked to see a 12-year-old committing murder of a nine-year-old. And you think to yourself, if this doesn't cause God to come back and fix this place, what will? And so many have concluded Jesus is not returning. And many have concluded there is no Jesus. There is no God. We're simply here on our own, living out the days that we have on this earth. But Peter says that's wrong because we fail to understand the patience of God. We don't understand how God views Christ's return. He has a different perspective on Jesus coming back than we do. Let me illustrate that for you. Imagine that you have a soccer game between Lowell and Forest Hill Central, for example. And imagine that the star midfielder for Lowell has scored two goals to put Lowell up 2-0 against the heavily favored Forest Hills Central soccer team. As the second half is progressing and it's getting later and later in the game, the star midfielder from Lowell keeps asking the referee, how much more time? How much more time? He's exhausted. He doesn't want the other team to come back. He can't wait for the game to end. Every minute that goes on, it feels like it's dragging on and on and on. The last 10 minutes of the game feel like they're taking forever. What's taking so long for this game to end? But consider on the other side a set of parents whose child plays for Forest Hill Central but hasn't yet gotten into the game. And the parents who are sitting in the stands know how disappointed he's going to be that he never got onto the field. And what they're hoping and praying is that the coach will look down the bench and see him and put him in and he'll get some, just even a small amount of playing time. For those parents, the game's going way too fast. Minutes are flying by. 
They're wanting desperately for the end to hold off. Please don't blow that whistle. Maybe there'll be a chance for our son to get into the game before it's too late. Two different perspectives on the same event, the end of the game. For the midfielder from Lowell, he can't wait for it to come and it's dragging on and on and on. For the parents whose child hasn't been in the game from Forest Hill Central side, it's coming way too fast. Peter says, we don't understand Christ's coming because we don't understand God's perspective on the event. Now, I'm sure many of you know Christians who are fascinated with when Christ is going to return. And whether it's blood moons or what's going on in the Middle East or other signs, they're constantly wanting to know, hey, look, what's going to happen? How can we know when Christ is going to return? The reason why I know that's a real draw is because that was me. I used to love to go to prophecy conferences and I was convinced that the universal acceptance of credit cards or the the growing influence of the UN were all signs that Christ was going to return. Well, here we are 25 years later from that point and he still hasn't returned. But do you know why we're never going to understand when he's going to return? is because we think about it fundamentally differently than God does. When we think about Christ's return, we think about, Lord, when are you going to come and put an end to my suffering? When are you going to show up and make this world right? When am I going to be vindicated in such a way that all the people who made fun of me for being a Christian will finally see that I was right and that they were wrong? When are you going to show up and get rid of the sin and the pain? Lord, when is heaven going to come and we're going to enjoy the great feast with you and all of the blessings? Did you hear how much... I was the center of those things. That's viewing Christ's return from my perspective. What do I get out of it? Now listen, those are all really valid, very true, good things to look forward to. We should be looking forward to them. But you know how God looks at Christ's return? It's the final whistle in the game. And once it blows, nobody else can come into his family. And from God's point of view, Christ's return means it's over. That there are going to be some people that he loves who won't get in. And whereas we look at it like that Lowell midfielder, we're on the winning side. We can't wait for the game to end. We want the game to be over so that we can be declared to be the winners and we can go and celebrate. But God's like those parents from Forest Hills who are saying they just desperately want just a few more minutes. Just a few more minutes. Peter says, that's why you don't understand about Christ's coming. We're viewing it from one perspective, which is Jesus, hurry up and get here. And what we fail to understand is the patience of God. Because we don't understand how desperately he loves those who are lost. He's not willing that any should perish. He doesn't want anybody to get left out. This is why he is holding back Jesus' return. He doesn't want anybody to not make it in. 
He's patient in ways we'll never understand because his patience flows out of his love. I mean, think about this for a minute. Imagine all the junk God is putting up with right now. Imagine as he looks around the world, all the suffering, all the pain, all the problems, all the stuff that if he just would send Jesus, he could put an end to it all. All the rebellion, all the defiance, all the idolatry, all the blasphemy, all that stuff would end in a moment if he would just let Jesus come. But his hatred of sin is outweighed by his love for people. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes on him will not perish but have eternal life. God doesn't want anybody to perish. Even the false teachers. The false teachers from 2 Peter 2, these people that Peter has such harsh language for, even them God doesn't want to perish. An example of this is the Apostle Paul, who before he became a Christian could be classified as a false teacher. Paul himself describes himself not only as a false teacher, but a blasphemer, a violent man, and a persecutor. And in this self-disclosure in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul also goes on to say, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul, who was on the wrong side, who was fighting against God. If Jesus had returned before Paul came to faith, there would be no hope for him. God was patient with Paul. And what Peter is saying is that God is patient with all of us. He's patient with the world. There's still too many people who just don't know. And so God, he hates the sin that he sees. He hates the rebellion. He can't wait for us to experience the joy of his presence. But there are still some who do not know. And so Peter says, the reason why we don't get Christ's return is because we don't understand his desperate, desperate love for those who don't know him yet. He's not willing. He doesn't want anyone to perish. Not a single person. He, he doesn't want anyone to perish. Now God's patience is not only manifested globally in this way with regard to Christ's return. It also manifests itself in our individual lives. Peter says in verses 1 and 2, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. The first one is 1 Peter. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. And the point is, what is true for Christ's return globally is true for what's going on in our lives individually. 1 Peter is all about us going through suffering on account of Christ. 
We spent the whole year looking at that epistle and we kept saying week after week after week, and the God of all grace, after you have, who called you to his eternal glory, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Well, we hear that phrase, after you have suffered a little while, and we look at the suffering in our own lives and we think, yeah, I've suffered a little while, I'm ready to be done with it. How long, Lord, how long will you allow this suffering to go on? How long, Lord, will I be out of work? How long, Lord, will we be living paycheck to paycheck? How long, Lord, will my kids refuse to obey? How long, Lord, will you continue to give me this difficult experience in my neighborhood? How long, Lord? I have suffered a little while. It's time for the suffering to be over. Hurry up and get the blessings here. But the same thing that was true globally about Christ's return is true individually about what's happening in our lives. We don't understand the patience of God. That God's love for us is far deeper than our love for ourselves. That by withholding his coming blessing, not talking about Jesus' return, but the fact that God's showing up in our lives and the situations we're going through and rescuing us from the miry pit, by keeping that back from us, he may be allowing more people to be saved through our struggles. He may be doing something in other people's lives or in our lives making us more like Jesus than if he simply showed up and made all the bad go away. The point is, is the same thing that's true about Christ's return is true in our individual's life. If we could see ourselves the way God sees us, how much he loves us, he knows the plans that he has for us, he knows what he's up to, and by leaving us in the midst of our suffering, sometimes the reason why he doesn't strike dead the person who's causing us such a problem is because that person doesn't know Jesus. And sometimes the reason why he leaves us in the middle of a difficult situation is that he sees that we can handle more than we think we can handle. He leaves us there because he wants to use us to bless other people because there are too many people who do not yet know him and we can be a source of that blessing. He loves us too much to not make us like Jesus. And so the same thing that's true globally with Christ's return is true individually in our own lives. Do not forget this one thing. God is patient. God's timing is not our timing. Our timing is not God's timing. That leads me to two questions for us this morning. The first question is for those who are here who are not yet believers in Jesus. And the question is, why keep rejecting a God who loves you in this way? Why keep holding him off? Now I know the danger by telling you that God is patient with you who have not yet believed. You're going to take that and think, I'm free to keep living my life however I want to live it. And later on, I'll come to faith or later on, I'll deal with God. Now it is true that Peter also says Jesus' coming will be like a thief in the night. And you won't be expecting it. But the main point is that God is patient. And you know what? He's going to continue to be patient with you. And the reason why I'm willing to tell you that is because I want you to know how much God loves you. 
As angry as God is about the things that you are doing or the fact that you would want to put him off further, he loves you so much. And the question is, why would you want to continue to live your life apart from a God who loves you that much? A God who is willing to put up with all the junk in your life, all the junk in this world, hoping that you will come to him. Why would you want to spend any more time away from a God like that? If he is willing to hold back Jesus' coming so that you can come to faith, will he not, when you do come to faith, pour out his blessings and peace and mercy in your life? Why wait? Why wait? The second question is for those of us who are believers in Jesus. And the question is, God is patient with us. Will we be patient with God? God is patient with us. Will we be patient with God? Peter says there will be scoffers who come scoffers who say Christ is never returning we can go on and live life however we want to live it we read that and we think but they're wrong Christ is going to return because we're believers and we believe that but then we turn around and do the exact same thing in our life we pray and we pray and we pray and we ask God to do something we ask God to show up and nothing happens and so what do we decide God's not coming I'm just going to get on and do my own thing. That's the exact same attitude that Peter says the non-Christians have. We're doing the exact same thing. We've concluded to ourselves that because God hasn't shown up in the way we wanted, when we wanted, to do the thing we wanted him to do, he's not coming. And Peter says it's not that he's not coming. He will show up and rescue you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. He will not leave you or abandon you. What we're failing to understand is the patience of God. We're failing to understand that his plans are bigger than our plans. His timing is different than our timing because his love for us is greater than our love for ourselves. And so the question we need to ask this morning is, God is being patient with us. Are we being patient with God? Which brings us to the time of communion. Communion is a great thing to celebrate when we're thinking about the patience of God. Because first, if you're here and you are waiting to accept Christ as your Lord, meaning you are not yet a Christian, I will ask you to wait and not participate in communion. Because this ceremony and this celebration goes with the acceptance of Jesus' love and grace to you. And if you're waiting to accept that, wait to participate in this. But it's also a great reminder for those of us who are Christians. Do you think God likes communion? I mean, compared to not doing communion, he loves it. But don't you think he'd much rather actually have the real meal with us? Don't you think he would much rather show up and allow us to experience his lavish grace and blessing for all of eternity? Think about how many billions of times communion has been celebrated and God has had to settle for this instead of that. 
He wants to enjoy fellowship with us. He's got a feast prepared for us. And when we do this ceremony, it's a wonderful, amazing, blessed ceremony. But it's a reminder that God is holding off the better because he's patiently waiting for more to come to faith. And I want you to think about how many times you and I have come to communion with our hearts not right with the Lord or having God ask us to do something that we're refusing to do or how many years we sat in church while communion was being passed and we knew we were not living for the Lord. Wasn't God patient with us? This is an opportunity for us to be reminded of how patient God has been with us, how long he's waited for us to obey him, how long he's waited for us to begin to move in the right direction. And it's an encouragement to us to say, let's now be patient with God. Let's trust that what he's up to is better and bigger than what we understand. And while you hold the bread and the cup in your hand, they're gonna be distributed in just a moment. Hold on to them while you're holding them. What I want you to think through is, is that is there something in your life that you've been saying to the Lord? How long, Lord? How long? When are you going to show up? And as you hold that bread in the cup, will you be willing to say to God, Lord, I'm sorry that I have been impatient with you?